Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 197th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger, and we've got a fun show tonight. Uh, we've got a special guest, uh, an old friend of the show. Not that he is old, but he has been a friend of the show for quite a while. And we've got two of our best co-hosts joining us, uh, Dana O'Gorman at DanaOG on Twitter, and Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. But the big guy, the one that hopefully you've all heard on 950 KJR for many, many years, cheering on the Huskies, the Seahawks, the Mariners, and now the Kraken, is Dave Softy Mahler, uh, a good friend. And uh, dude, it's been a while. I don't think I've yeah. seen you in person in, in a minute. So how are you doing, man? It has been a while, and first of all, congrats on 197 shows. That's that's a lot of Nemhauser, man. I don't know how your audience does it. That is a buttload of Nemhauser, baby. So, I mean, you're getting close to 200. Do you have big plans yet for for number 200? What's on the docket for that? We do all or? sorts of planning. You know, okay. this group. Yeah. we 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 have huge plans for the sure. 200. Double the plans that we had for the hundreds episode for sure. Well, I was going to say, you could just spend the whole show just going over all of Evan's stupid takes and just do the entire <laughs> show for, for that, for, for, for number 200 and just blow the guy up and just say the hell with it. But no, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. He's not here. I was looking forward to talking to him, but great to see Dana. Great to see Jeff. And 
I, I actually watch you guys after games. I'm, I'm that creep. I'm that weirdo that sits in bed, laying in bed at 9 30, 10 o'clock at night after a Seahawk game, because here's the problem. We get off the, off the air for like our post game show. And I have this problem a lot when it comes to like the Huskies, like I'll do a post game show for Washington and I'll get in the car and I'll flip on the radio and I want to hear somebody talking about the Huskies, but there's nobody there because the only guy doing the post game show is me or my team. So I appreciate what you guys do. You give us another option. It's uh, it's awesome. I love sitting in bed and, uh, you know, just hearing you guys yak because most of the time you're talking about stuff that I'm thinking as well. So kudos to everybody who's a part of this because you guys have created something awesome. Thanks dude. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, I guess we got, we got a fair amount to cover. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I haven't heard your perspective on we'll start by just talking about the season that was yeah, and how it went relative to how you expected it to go. Like what's your story of the 2021 Seattle Seahawks? Well, I thought it was a massive disappointment. I mean, I don't know how else it could be. I mean, you're seven and 10, uh, you fired your defensive coordinator, right? I mean, that's it. You know, you hired a brand new, Hotshot offensive coordinator who I thought after week one was on his way to kind of doing some good things and then just kind of took a detour and really wasn't able to capture that until the end of the year when there really wasn't much to play for. So, you know, I think I think anytime the league expands the playoffs and almost half the damn conference makes the postseason <laughs> and you can't get there, that is an absolute downer. And I'm I'm sorry, but I don't just sit sit around like a lot of people do and and blame Russell Wilson's injury. I think that's a cop-out, you know, for, for what happened in 2021. I think your running game was terrible. Your lack of a pass rush was terrible. A lot of problems that we identified, Brian, you and I talking over the offseason, you have a need for some offensive linemen, including a center. You have a need for a pass rush, and, and you really went out and did nothing to address it. You had a need for a second, if not third, cornerback on this football team, and you did nothing of significance to address that. And just sat around and, and waited for, you know, pieces to fall off the scrap pile and hope that you could sprinkle some fairy dust on them and, you know, make sure that they work. So, you know, look, I mean, obviously Russell Wilson's injury was a factor, but it wasn't the biggest factor because even before Russell Wilson's injury, the second half of the Tennessee game in overtime, the second half of the Minnesota game, third quarter of the Ram game, when Russell busted his finger, he had seven damn points for crying out loud. So there were signs even before Russell's injury that this thing was going south and, and going south in a hurry. So uh, I, I, I would just say it was a massive disappointment for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up the Tennessee game and that that's been a subject of a lot of debate, even on this show, hmm. no arguments that the defense just melted down in that game. Right. And that's right. what people remember about it. What I remember about it being at that game was the offense did nothing in the second half. The only play that they made, the only play was a huge busted coverage from the Titans. The defense actually stopped the Titans in the fourth quarter, big fourth down stop, gave it to the offense with a great chance to seal the win. And What's that? And overtime. And then they did it again in overtime and the yeah. offense did nothing. So like, I think the offense gets off scot-free of like a hundred percent agree with your point. Like, Oh, Russell was fine. The season was going to be great. And then he got hurt. And like, no way. And if well, that's I mean, first of all, let me just interrupt you. Are people actually saying that? Or that just, okay. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, Jeff, who Jeff. are these people then? What are they smoking? Right. I mean, we're talking about it's, testing people for COVID. We should be testing people for drugs. I mean, that is, that is just insane that anybody, 
What do your eyes tell you? You're watching these games. Everybody is watching these games. That is absolutely asinine for anyone to have that opinion. If you have that opinion, then either A, you're not paying attention, B, you just don't want to hear what you don't want to hear, or C, you're a Seahawk player, or D, the mother of a Seahawk player, because none of that makes any fucking sense at all. Sorry that anybody would have that take whatsoever. And I mean, like we were saying off the air, there's certain things that like the sun goes down at night, right? There's certain things that we don't even need to debate and whether or not the Seahawks were having offensive problems before Russell Wilson's finger injury, I thought, and I guess I'm wrong. I thought that was something that everybody disagreed upon, but I guess I'm wrong. There are certain people who point to this second ranked PFF grade and they seem to forget the first five games. I know. I agree with you. It's just that came up so many times with me and Brian this year. It, it blew my mind. I couldn't agree with you more, Softy. I mean, anyone that watched the Rams game and really watched the Rams game, yeah. the first one, Russell got, I think, his highest PFF grade of the year. He got like a 93 or something. I'm like, what on earth? Like the amount of open players that he never threw to that were wide open. Honestly, even the play he got hurt, which you give him some, you know, that was a tough throw to make, but there was no safety. It was cover zero. And that's a throw Russell makes every time. He hurt his hand after he made the throw. So, like, that was a touchdown. That was a touchdown. He missed it. So, I I thought he was was off even then. So, I'm I'm fired up because uh, it's nice to know we we share the same thing. (laughs) Dana, I mean – you know, you know how frustrating the show can be sometimes, you know, it is true. But, you know, here's the interesting thing I find with these fans who are there. Well, first of all, they're defensive of Russ and understandably so. Right. He's their franchise quarterback. This is the first injury he's had. And there are just those people out there who truly believe he is the answer to all. Good for you. Be behind him. I'm totally sort of okay with that. You know how much I love quarterbacks. But the interesting thing is that they were all turning on Shane Waldron. So they're defending the offense and the offense looks fine, but Shane Waldron's crap. We should get rid of him. It's like, no, pick a side friends. You can't have both. How did you, how did you grade Shane Waldron this year? Softy? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was an incomplete. That was a C at best. I mean, I'm kind of like a lot of other people and that I just wonder if, I wonder if, if Shane Waldron has a desire to really kind of grow his brand and really grow his status as a play caller in the NFL. I wonder if he's in the right place, right? I mean, I, I just don't know if Pete Carroll will ever allow him to become who he wants to be. Frankly, I think it's one of the reasons why Brian Schottenheimer agreed to step aside because I, I think Pete Carroll has this philosophy. And I think Brian Schottenheimer has a desire, like every offensive coordinator does in the NFL, to one day be a head coach. And I think that Brian did not see a path to becoming a head coach by staying in Seattle. I mean, no offensive coordinator has ever had a path to becoming a head coach by staying in Seattle under Pete Carroll. We've seen defensive coordinators, obviously, that have ridden his coattails in some ways, and Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley, and we've seen what's happened to those guys as head coaches. But, I mean, he's he's a coordinator killer. I mean, let's be honest, guys. The guy's had five different defensive coordinators now, and he's had, what, three of them since, you know, Chris Richard got fired in 2017. So, I, I just find all this talk about like these up and coming, uh, you know, defensive coordinators like Sean Desai, for example, from Chicago that Michael Sean Dugard tossed out there, or Joe Witt Jr. Maybe I'm wrong about this, and there certainly is a chance that I am wrong, 
But if I'm those guys, I'm not coming here. I want to go somewhere where I can have total autonomy and, and call my defense. I'm not coming here with an aging defense. A guy like a Bobby Wagner can't figure out what the hell you want to do with Jamal Adams. So maybe I'm wrong and they'll end up with a guy like that. But th this has basically been, let's face it, for a long time now, a place where a lot of coordinators go to die. Let's let's go let's go right there. I was going to talk about that a little bit later. I mean that that's news that even broke. I can see Dana chomping at the. I gotta I gotta say something. I'm sorry. I gotta say something. So here is here's my counter to that. Where yes, I agree that you know I don't think coordinators come here to die. I think that might be a little harsh, but I will say that not literally like passing away. But no, but here's my here's my spin on this, and I have been kind of throwing this out to the guys here every once in a while um, in our chat. I wonder if Seattle actually is appealing to some of those younger guys because they know Pete Carroll is only going to be here for a couple more years, and so they can see that that head coach opening at the end of the tunnel. They know it's there. It's not like Belichick who just keeps, you know, throwing Josh McDaniel to the wind. And he's like, Oh yeah, someday, someday kid, whatever, just stay here. Or some of these other places that have brand new head coaches. If someone truly has head coach aspirations, Seattle might actually be a good yeah. place to go. And I would just, I would just say that, that, that might be totally correct, but that's a different reason to come here. Right. That's a different yeah. argument. I mean, there, there's the argument that says, hey, I'm going to go work for Pete Carroll because Pete Carroll's system works. And Pete Carroll can put me in the best position as a mentor to be a head coach one day in the NFL. If you're just telling me, Dana, that he's a short timer and that's why I want to go to Seattle, then great. But that's got right. nothing to do with Pete Carroll's coaching ability. That's got everything to do with just Pete Carroll's long-term commitment to being the head coach of the Seattle <laughs> Seahawks. So, that's why <laughs> Using yeah. that logic, I could also say, hey, maybe somebody wants to go work for a guy like a Mike Tomlin who's won yeah. three playoff games in 11 years, and maybe he's about to be out the door. Maybe I should go take that job because he's about to be fired. So that part I totally get. If all yeah. you're looking for is the next window of opportunity and it's in Seattle and, hell, I'm already here. I can prove my worth for a couple of years and, boom, give me the job. That's a different argument than what I'm trying to make, though. Well, I think you're both right, and I I, I don't know I don't know that the Tomlin one's a good. You're talking about some guy getting fired, but Dana's talking about, and I actually think Dana's right and Softy, you know, you're mostly wrong here. Is <laughs> is that is that look for the last ten years? You are right, Softy. I don't think this is a place to come and have a chance to be a head coach, like at least within the Seattle organization. But Pete, I don't think is going to coach past this contract, and. If you come in and you're a Sean Desai, uh, or is it Desai? I don't know. Maybe you know. Yeah. Uh, 38 years old, up and comer, and you get the chance. Like, there's nobody else on this staff. Shane Waldron, there's, that is not a head coach. That, I, you cannot convince me that guy's a head coach. Yeah. Uh, Desai has what seems to be head coach capability, like personality, dynamic, like whatever three years, do your time. And then you're going to take over. It, it's a transition. It is, yeah, yeah. it is more like Jim Moore jr. For Mike Holmgren back oh, in the God. day. Uh, but I think in this case could be someone that they hire the right guy could be someone great. Unlike yeah, yeah. Uh, how that turned out. But, but that, again, that that's, that's talking about taking different. advantage of somebody's lack of longevity. Yes. Right. I'm talking about a guy putting you in the best position to have success so you can flourish and move on and one day become a head coach. But if you're just simply put looking for an opening, 
then yeah, that's great. The coach and waiting thing doesn't really seem to work very uh, often I hate in the it. NFL or in college football. So, you know, somebody texted the show today and said, what about Dan Quinn as the coach and waiting? Well, why would Dan Quinn do that? Dan yeah. Quinn could be a head coach tomorrow in the National Football League. Why would he come to Seattle, be your defensive coordinator, and then wait four years for Pete Carroll to quit? That makes no sense. Uh, I think I can spin this a different way and where you both might be wrong. Um, <laughs> number one, I think part of the problem that Softy's talking about is I don't think Pete's doing a good enough job hiring people. Totally agree. And yep. I think that's been my biggest criticism of him. I said it all year. If, even if Pete got fired, I know there's probably people calling to your show. Who the hell would have been the head coach on their staff? Mm, nobody. Ken nobody. Norton, Mike Solari. Like, no. I don't think they no. had an interim coach on their staff. So I, I agree with Softia that they were coming to die because, frankly, they haven't had good enough candidates both on offense and on defense. No, and totally right. In terms of the successor thing, I hate that idea. I think it's a god awful idea. And I'll tell you why. If you're going to hire, say, a defensive coordinator, your only options to hire a defensive coordinator are either fired head coaches, defensive coordinators who come under contract, and then a position coach who can get an upgrade. Yeah. So you're really limiting the scope of who you would be hiring. If you're hiring a head coach, yeah. you get every head coach who's fired, every offensive coordinator, every defensive coordinator. So this coach and waiting thing to me is a terrible idea. Well, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I think we're talking about different things. I think so too. So, so you just said you started with, with, I think making the point here, Jeff, which is there's nobody on Pete's staff who's head coach material. No. That's not so bringing someone aboard who has head coach potential is good. I don't head coach and waiting stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I know, but you're always pushing for some successor. I don't want that. Mm. You've been pushing for it. You just said that. You just said there's nobody on staff who could step up. Like no, I'm just saying that's how right bad though. his staff is. The problem is, guys, the problem with, first of all, the problem with the head coach and waiting, just to kind of divert for a second here, is if you hire a head coach and waiting right now, then you are in essence being willing to say no to every other candidate that comes. That's what I'm saying. In yes. the next three or four years, which is ridiculous for anyone to sit there and say, I know what the market's going to look like. I know what the candidates will be. Like, for example, let's say the Hawks three years ago hired Dan Quinn after he got fired by Atlanta to be their head coach and waiting. They would have been saying no to Zach Taylor, Brandon Staley, every other up and coming head coach in football. They would have said, no, we're good because we already have our guy, which is crazy. But I think Jeff is exactly right that you know, we talk about like Paul Allen, Jody Allen, whatever the billions of dollars these, these people have. You want the best roster. You want the best free agents, blah, blah, blah. They also should have the best coaching staff in the National Football League. There's no salary cap on the NFL. I have no problem bringing in head coaches, but like Vic Fangio, for example, Brian would be unbelievable as the defensive coordinator in Seattle. He's not a head coach because the guy's 97 damn years old, but he would be unbelievable for this football team as a defensive coordinator. But what's one thing Pete Carroll doesn't do? He doesn't hire ex-head coaches on his staff. Unless your name's Tom Cable, he's the only ex-head coach he's ever hired. So I don't know if it's an ego play or if he's, you know, got some nerves or whatever. Maybe he feels intimidated. But I think it's time for Pete Carroll to start actually putting together a staff of quality, proven guys and not, not continue to take chances on unproven guys and his kids. That's what this staff, in a lot of ways, has turned into. A bunch of unproven people and members of the Carroll family. It's ridiculous. And, and, and it's interesting you guys talk about his hiring, which I think we, we've all agreed it has not been good. Um, Who's that again? And- Pete. Pete has oh, not been good oh, yeah, at hiring. Right. I think we all agree on that. 
And then you, you compare that to how they go after for, like undrafted free agents and the way they recruit, right? And it feels different. It, it doesn't feel like, at least in the past, that they, like 2017, it was like they brought Ken Norton aboard like that. Didn't feel like they cast a wide net. Schottenheimer, I felt like they just picked him up within a week or so. It does feel different with what happened last year on the OC side. They did talk to a number of different people and it yeah. does feel different. I think we all initially felt like, God dang it. They're just going to look internal and they're going to talk to one guy that Pete's had a lot of history with the Ed Donatel, and they're going to call it good. And we all were just a little dejected about that. Right. But now it is good to hear about Sean to say it's good to yeah. hear about Joe Witt jr. And guys that are not from Pete's tree. Like, I think, Jeff, you and I talked about this. Like, it was energizing to hear that last night, right? Yeah, Desai was – because you mentioned the two candidates that came out, I think, when Bob and Dota broke the story were just the classic Pete Carroll staff hire. And, again, like like you said, Ken Norton, when he got hired, I don't think there's another team in the league that would have hired him after that Raiders thing he had. That was terrible. So, yeah, Desai is a guy, from what I understand, is like a super rising coach in the league. He's not from the Petri at all. He comes from a different scheme entirely. And he's yeah. a guy who's under 40 years old. So that was really encouraging. And Witt Jr. is a guy who's been like a defensive back developer. He worked with John a little bit, I think, in Green Bay, but only the two years. So it's been 10 years with other coaches. And that was really encouraging to me because I did not expect that. And based on Pete's history of hiring coaches, other than Waldron, who I think might have been done through Russell, yeah. it's yeah. really been his friends. And Ed Donatel's a guy who worked with him in like, the 80s at Pacific University. So that struck me as like, this is all over again. Yeah. Well, the Ed Donatel thing for me, I mean, I don't know. I just think if you're the defensive coordinator of the college football team in town and you don't win a game, that should preclude you from ever getting to call a game again in Seattle as a defensive coordinator. So he wants to come here and be an intern. He wants to come in here and be a quality control guy and work his way back up, then that's fine. But I still have scars, scars from that 2008 Husky football team with Ed Donatel as our defensive coordinator when the Huskies went 0-12. So very bad memories there. I mean, Joe Witt, it sounds like Joe Witt is being recommended by Dan Quinn, right, who obviously Pete has a ton of respect for. But, I mean, look, you know, guys, I mean, the Cowboys led the league in picks and the Hawks had, what, 11 or whatever. They had almost three times as many interceptions as, C as the Seahawks did. They had five defensive backs that had two or more interceptions, and that's because they have talent at that position. And I don't care who you hire. I don't care if you hire, you know, a clone of Pete Carroll. They need to do better on draft day. Kevin Harlan has been on my show every week for the past 12 years. In the last two months, he's made the same comment. He's seen this team play two or three times in person. The roster, the roster, the roster. The roster has holes. So above all this stuff, whoever they hire is their D.C., whatever they do with their coaching staff, they've got to find a way to figure out their talent evaluation because in a lot of ways it's been piss poor. Well, so what do you want to see them do? I mean, where, where do you want to see them? Not necessarily the specific players. Yeah. Yeah. But what are the, what are the parts of this roster that you want them to yeah. prioritize? Simple answer stars on the defensive and offensive line, baby. That's it. Stars. They haven't had a freaking all pro offensive lineman in 10 years. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's got to change, right? I mean, you're talking about Max Unger and Russell Okung, and Max Unger wasn't even drafted by them. I mean, you know, was, I, I think that's the last pro bowler that they had as well was Okung and, and Max. And, I mean, Dwayne may have been an alternate somewhere here or there, but whatever. I mean, you guys get my point. They, they just haven't done 
what they need to do up front. And I think that people lose track of that, that this is a quarterback league. Yes. But look at what the chiefs have done with their offensive line. It's crazy what they've done with their offensive line. Look at what bring it up. Don't bring it up. (laughs) But look at what they've done. Look at what Minnesota did even a couple years ago, ran from one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL to one of the best. I think that was the year they had the Minnesota miracle went to the second round of the playoffs. So I just simply put, Brian, you you asked the question, I'll give you an answer. From a view from 40,000 feet, I need impact players on the offensive and defensive line, and they don't have nearly enough of those guys right now, if any at all. So do you bring back Dwayne Brown, or do you go after, like, top-tier guys on the free agency like Teron Armstead? Right, right. I would, I, 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 I think if there's ever a year to do that, it's right now. You got $55 million to spend in free agency. You may have more. This is absolutely a year to go do something like that. What I would have done, to be totally honest with you, is not waited until Dwayne Brown turned 37 damn years old to go find an answer. I would have had a guy waiting in the wings to step up and replace Dwayne Brown, but they didn't do that. Instead, they drafted a wide receiver in the second round who they barely freaking used. In D. Eskridge, and, and, and don't tell me about the concussion for crying out loud. This is not when he came back off of the injured list. This is not the princess bride. You're not mostly concussed. You're either concussed or you're not concussed. And when D. Eskridge came back, the fact that he could barely see the damn football was a freaking joke. So the, the fact that they passed on a guy like Creed Humphrey to draft a wide receiver who they barely effing will even give the ball to is asinine. And it makes zero sense. And it makes you wonder, do these guys even know what the hell they're doing? You just pushed the right button. You just pushed it. Look out, look at him. He can't handle it. You don't it's not my side either. Though. They had the draft, we were saying that. <laughs> All of us were saying that on yeah, draft day. I know. Yeah. All of us knew they needed a center. And nobody was beating the drum for a center maybe harder than Brian for crying out loud. I mean, maybe these people should start listening to the idiots out there on the internet because the idiots I texted don't Brian know what the hell they're day. talking about. At least for the first first pick, yeah, like, right. <laughs> I think they do all right after that. But man, yeah, I I think that if they just went wisdom of the crowds on their first pick, including whether or not to trade it or trade back, yeah, I think this team would <laughs> would be better. World like, better. Who wanted Jermaine Effetti? Who wanted James Carpenter? Like, who wanted, like, yeah, yeah. Frustrating, man. It's frustrating. I think sometimes they're just too smart for their own good. And I honestly wonder, I'm just tossing this out there, if this is a product of not having a clear hierarchy at the top of the food chain with the Seahawks. When you have two guys that share the room in a lot of ways together, Hey, that's great. It's fun. We're all buddies. We can agree on stuff, but you know what? I need to have a dictator. I'm sorry. I got to have a dictator at the top of the food chain. It's got to be a clear, obvious dude or gal, whoever it is that ends up calling the shots. It's got to be obvious. And the fact that they haven't had that, I wonder if it's starting to come back to bite them in the ass. You know what else has been brought up that is a really good question is whether or not as the further Pete Carroll got out from college, yeah. the less the, the less of an evaluator he became, that he kind of lost touch with some of that. And so I don't know it. And then he has such influence, like you were saying. So I find it really interesting that that you can almost track it like an arrow. 
that the further he got from college, he not didn't, wasn't as good of an evaluator. And maybe then the rest of that staff, his scouting staff and that sort of thing, you know, should be looked at as well. We put all the blame on John and Pete, rightfully so, because they're the ones that are actually making the pick. But I think as a college coach gets removed from, gets removed from college, maybe you got to look at some of that staff a little bit too and what they're being told. But if they would just, if nothing else, pick the most talented player left at their spot for whatever position instead of, oh, we found this diamond in the rough down here in the corner and we're going to surprise everyone. That has driven me crazy for years. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Dana. And I look, I mean, I just think that in the end that you know, we, uh, I remember we said this, was it 2010 or 2011 when the phrase hormonal, we first heard that word, right? When, was it the Charger game when Pete kind of freaked out, right? And went a little hormonal against San Diego back in the day. And I, I think he still has a little bit of that. I think he still just kind of does go, you know, bad, you know, and kind of loses his mind every now and then because the Eskridge was the shiny new toy. And I, look, I, I get it. You know, there was an attraction to him. He was fast. He would seemed like on paper he was perfect for Shane Waldron's system. You know what Shane Waldron needs before he needs a toy? He needs an engine. And the offensive line is the engine. And I am so sick and tired of complaining and bitching every year about a offensive line that underperforms. I mean, hey, Jake Curran was, you know, good player, decent player. But, my God, we are so starved for offensive linemen in Seattle that the minute the guy puts together a month and a half, we feel like we just saw Santa Claus for crying out loud. It's ridiculous. They need long-term, solid, Pro Bowl-level answers at least at two or three of those spots, and they're nowhere near having that right now. And, you know, Brian's two favorite players on the team the last couple of years are Phil Haynes and Jamarco Jones. So Yeah, he also liked uh, <laughs> Alvin Bailey and Michael Bowie a lot back in the day, too. How'd that work? And how good were they were key parts of that Super Bowl? You remember how many starts Michael Bowie had at right tackle <laughs> while Giacomini was out, and he played well. And you remember Alvin Bailey in the second half coming in to key Marshawn Lynch's 40-yard touchdown when they went heavy after the yeah. Niners in the first half? Do not. You better Alvin put some respect on Alvin Bailey's name, man. And what are those guys doing now? You know what they're doing? They're working for Zoom, making sure this podcast gets on the air. I, I don't care what they're doing. They, they did their service to me as a fan. I will always, <laughs> I will always defend those dudes. Oh, and dude. Phil Haynes should be there, should be part of their plan. He should be the starting guard or he should be a starting center and he should be part of that, that fight. I mean, I know what I saw. I didn't even care what grades, which were pretty good. The guy run blocks and pass blocks better than any of the guys I've seen. Like the two games he put together were better than any of the games I saw from the other players all season. So like, that's enough for me. Get the guy in there. And it's just a joke. People say he was injured. Yes, he was injured early. He's been available for a long time and they just didn't use him. So we've seen that time and again, Softy, this thing at the end of the year where they'll say, yeah, we, I don't know why Frank Clark didn't play more. We'll make sure and do yeah. that next year. Like what the fuck? Like play the players. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, Sidney Jones. Yeah. He's pretty good. Uh, Trey flowers. We just really wanted to see what he, why like stop making right. stupid. It's not even Kyle Fuller. Get good guys on a roster. That's hard enough. But yeah. then once you have good players, pick the best players to play the game. Like I think you're I think it's pretty simple, man. This doesn't have to be hard. I mean, you're talking about just getting the best players on the field. That's it. And we had the same problem with Ryan Neal. 
Oh man, look at Ryan Neal. Ryan Neal can play. Well, no shit, he can play. We saw that last year. So what are you doing? Find a way to get him on the field. That might mean moving Jamal Adams to a different spot. I mean, hell, guys, Lawyer Malloy was on my show like a month ago, and he's he's endorsing uh, uh, Jamal Adams playing linebacker. He's a he's a second level player. You know, he's not a safety. He even even said on the air that if he continues to play that spot, he's not going to be long for the NFL. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I feel like I'm going to stir the pot here a little bit. I can see everybody's antennas going up here, and we're about to get busy here on the podcast talking about Jamal Adams. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it's been a disaster so far. I mean, yeah, he had the great year a year ago, but that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for five, six, seven years of, you know, Pro Bowl caliber play out of Jamal Adams. And I would just ask you this. If they had waited until now to extend Jamal Adams, would you give him the same contract today that they gave him last offseason? Oh, no. I'm close. No, you know. I don't know if you'd give him half. And you'd walk away. Half, Jeff. No, half. I, th- I think I think Jeff's right. I, 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 I mean, really- if he had free agency right now with two shoulder injuries in a row, his performance, and co- I don't think he's getting half what he got. Yeah. Well, I, Randy, I think- Mueller, Randy Mueller told me even before the season started, Okay, so this is coming off of the sack record. If they wanted to move on from him and did not want to extend him, he thought the best they could do was get a second round pick. And that was before the season started. Because he had to pay so, him, yeah. Yes. And he's, he's a one-trick pony. And the reason why you signed him was because partly, do not tell me that Pete Carroll did not extend him, mostly because of the sack record. So he gets the sack record, and then they don't let him rush the quarterback. It doesn't make any sense what they've done with this guy. So, I mean, I was wrong. I'll admit it. When they made the trade for Jamal, I was fired up. I was really fired up for Jamal Adams to come to Seattle. My cousin Evan, who's a big Jet fan, is telling me, no, he's an idiot. He can't play, blah, 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 blah. I said, you're just jealous. You're pissed off that you lost him. And he was right. And you know what? Everyone, this ridiculous cockamamie argument. Oh, my God, if I hear it again, I'm going to punch myself in the face. I'm going to punch Brian in the face just for good measure that, well, the Seahawks suck at drafting guys in the first round. Okay, but you know what else they're really good at? Taking those two first-round draft picks and turning them into 15 picks. That's what they could have done with those two first-round draft picks. So, oh, my God, this is a disaster. And how are they going to fix it? Tell me, how are they going to how are they going to show to us that the Jamal Adams deal is anything else than a freaking absolute disaster? Should be the first question in every defensive coordinator interview. I don't know if I agree with that. I I, I think it's absolutely <laughs> a question in every. I I do. I, I have heard this from a bunch of folks, and that my problem there is that would be just as much of an overcorrection and, and a reaction to trying to justify the deal. Like the the yeah. question should be about how to make this defense great. Right. And yes, pass rush is part of it. Making the best use of your talent. It's not just Jamal Adams. Carlos Dunlap was misused. DJ Reed was misused. He came out and said it. Like, there's a number of guys. Quandary Diggs was frustrated. Like, like Bobby was frustrated at times. I don't know if Jordan Brooks has been really utilized the right way and given the right coaching. So I think that's what matters. Like, how do you get the most? And here's the thing. I mean, we're all reactionary. Like, of course, of course, that trade is awful. Like, I don't think there's any anyone that would defend that trade. Pete Carroll will says he's been great. Yeah, of course he's going to do that. What else? Yeah, but that's ridiculous, bro. What else is he going to say? I mean, coach, too far. What coach that's would for him even say. going too far? I mean, I I understand that Pete Carroll 
is the eternal optimist. He's going to have your back until he doesn't. But I got to be honest with you, man. I got pissed off when I heard that because I think when Pete Carroll says stuff like that, he's patronizing his own fan base. He's talking to us like we're freaking idiots, okay? Look, we all get it. You thought Tavares Jackson, may he rest in peace, was the greatest thing since sliced bread when he was backing up Russell Wilson. He could have been a star if he would have gone somewhere else. Fine. He's your guy, whatever. But don't you know, look at us and tell us that when it's really blue, it's white. I mean, come on, dude, stop with this crap. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. I will, I, I would defend the Jamal Adams trade. I love Jamal Adams. I think that he has a very solid place here. Why would you love Jamal Adams? What has he done to have you love him? Because I'm a defense lover and I think. He doesn't play defense though. He sure does. He doesn't play defense. He really, really does. I promise. He's he's an absolute, he's an absolute (laughs) cardinal sin in pads at the goal line. If you oh watch his God. effort against Arizona, Dana, I'm telling you, it's a problem. And you know what? Cam Chancellor, if he were no longer with us, would be rolling over in his freaking grave watching the way this guy plays at the goal line. It's disgusting. Dana, finish your thought. So my point is, is this, is this is why I have been asking for Ken Norton Jr. to be fired for two seasons. And, and because he does not utilize his players properly. Like Jamal or not, there is a way to use him on this team, and he could never ever do it. And but he, like Brian, to Brian's point, he wasn't alone. And so um, I think that that is where when people are like, "What's wrong? Why did we fire Ken Norton?" That is one of the biggest reasons. Here's the thing, though: when you're interviewing all these young guys, you, the first thing is not how do you fix that; it is how do you make it work how do we use these guys to their greatest level because honestly that's what happened in legion of boom they found their strengths and they had them work together as a group and that that defense will i could say this every single time i bring up legion of boom that defense will never be replicated it was historic it won't happen again but you can still use that same philosophy in making it work together with each one of them having their own strength so people yeah. pound on that i hate jamal adams yeah. um drum but really you were hate you hated the way he was used and so i think that that jamal adams does get injured i understand if people don't like the trade that's fine but there will be a way to utilize him that he can yeah. be very beneficial to i want to jump in i want to jump in because I, the part that i was going to get to is I, the trade i'm not going to argue about the trade that's in the past you know whatever the, even the that. contract's done but this idea that Jamal Adams is not a good football player, I think is asinine. Like Jamal, and, or that he's a one-trick pony. Jamal Adams was not a one-trick pony in New York. He was an excellent in-the-box safety. He was actually excellent in coverage most years that he was there. It just was used very differently than how he's used here. He's in a scheme that does not fit him. And he's not a classic safety. Like nobody would say that about him. Yeah. But he was a all-pro player. Not a Pro Bowl player, an all-pro player. One of the best players in football. And he's not been close to that. So I don't think people just stop being an all-pro player. I think last year, they got him late, almost right before the season. There was almost no preseason with COVID and all that stuff. The only way, they admitted it. The only thing they knew how to do with him is blitz him. They just didn't know him. This year, for whatever reason, they came back and they're like, don't want to do that. We're going to prove that he can be used a different way. It was a horrible plan. That's coaching. That is 100% coaching. So Dana mentioned Ken Norton, but this is not the first time this has happened. So when has this not become a peep problem? Because they got Jimmy Graham, and they had him blocking an inline tight end. And Percy Harvin, they figured out he could run that fly sweep. They had no idea how to use him either. So that's three players they've traded mega compensation for, three pretty unique players that 
and they yeah. haven't been able to use yeah. any of them. I, I agree with that. I agree with that statement. It's it's not all on Ken. Ken just drove me crazy. Yeah, but I mean, yes, it's not this all. It's a pattern of yeah. a decade now of yeah. trading for these guys and having no plan how to use them and, and firing people because they couldn't use them. So there's two things here, Softy, right? One, stop trading first round picks for stars from other teams. It's never worked for the Seahawks. And certainly don't use it to, to trade for players that are not offensive linemen, that are all pro level offensive linemen or defensive linemen that are all pro. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a corner. But other than those three positions, don't do it. Freaking yeah. don't do it. That's one. And two, Jamal Adams is a better player than we've seen. I don't, you know, I just think that the idea that he is just, you know, a lost cause and that he's just a, a meme now, like everybody jokes about him. I, I I, I think I think those people are gonna come back and they're gonna they're gonna have their priors and they're gonna keep trying to point out how he's bad. Yeah. I think we're gonna see Jamal Adams come back in a big way, uh, assuming they get the right defensive uh, mind in here. Well, I hope so. I mean, you know, I mean, I think we're all rooting for that, right? <clears throat> I mean, to not root for that would be ridiculous because they got the guy for four more years. So if that doesn't happen, then the franchise is gonna be in real trouble with his salary, and they have, they, they 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 would have to in the next couple of years or so literally think about a $16 million dead cap number to walk away from his contract at, at the very minimum, right? Or maximum, sorry. So the longer they wait, obviously the, the, the smaller that number gets, but I, I, I just think this about Jamal Adams. I mean, he's a football player. Maybe he's a good football player, but he's not worth what they paid him and he's not worth what they gave up. And I don't think we can just stop talking about that and dismiss that because the people that made that deal are still here and are going to make more deals for this football team. It's like the Huskies, for example, and all their problems. Well, we can stop talking about that because they fired Jimmy Lake. He's not even here anymore. So who do you blame? There's no one left to blame, but the guys that made that deal are still here. What I want out of a guy like that is to cover the best tight ends the opposing team has to offer. For example, he doesn't do that. The play that we all remember from that 2012 Niner game with Cam Chancellor knocking the piss out of Vernon Adams on the sideline, Jamal Adams is never going to do that. He's not doing that. And if he is doing that, he's probably getting hurt in the process for crying out loud. And I do think, Dana, that his effort level at the goal line at times has been really, really concerning. And I really sometimes question this guy's effort. That's a hard thing to do. I know that. I'm not there. Nobody's there. But when I see a guy give up at the two-yard line with a chance to blow up J.D. McKissick, and I see it happen in the Arizona game, we saw it happen in the Ram playoff game a year ago. Everybody said he's hurt. Fine. Great. Give him a pass. Then we saw it multiple times this year. That bothers me. When I see a guy that's supposed to be a leader on your football team giving up at the goal line, no, 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 no. I don't stand for that crap, and no Seahawks fan should stand for it either. I want to put it, I want to make a bet with you, Softy, right here. Okay. I love bets. Two year bet, two yes. years. Okay. Yeah. If Jamal Adams makes the Pro Bowl, right. I win the bet. Okay. If he doesn't make the Pro Bowl, you yeah. win the bet. Well, I mean, and the, and the, and the, the loser buys the winner the wedge of their choice. To the put. Okay, fine. How about I just give you my used 54 from PXP? I'll just give it to you. <laughs> no, no, no. Dude, dude, listen, that, that that's fine because it's fun and this is fun stuff to keep an eye on. But, I mean, let's say the Seahawks hire a defensive coordinator and they decide to blitz Jamal Adams 100 times again next year and he gets to eight and a half, nine sacks. Bingo, the guy's a pro bowler. Boom, Brian wins the bet. So it's not going to take that much, I don't think, to make Jamal Adams a pro bowler. 
But I agree with what you said, though, about Jeff's take about defensive coordinator first job, get the most out of Jamal in general terms. I think Jeff's right. That is a factor. But to me, Dana's right. You're right. This is what we got. How are you going to turn chicken crap into chicken salad? That's number one. And then number two, what does Pete like to do? He likes to take the ball away. He likes to get turnovers and give his offense short fields. They're not doing that. They've gotten progressively worse in the last three years when it comes to turnovers and takeaways. And one more point on Dana's point about not using the players right. That's the problem. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. For all we know, Dana, Ken Norton Jr. wanted to use Jamal Adams in a different way. And Pete Carroll said, no, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. That's why I find that Bears guy really uh, intriguing because they lost Khalil Mack this year. They lost Akeem Hicks this year. Yeah. And Robert Quinn had a career year. I think he had 18 sacks. So they got the most out of a guy who had a real down year last year. Roquan Smith had the best year of his career this year. And they had more turnovers than Seattle did with a pretty banged up team. So I think that really speaks to what this team just hasn't been able to do for quite a while now. So, Softy, Pete and John are staying. Do you yep. think that was a good choice? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I, I think that they deserve to, if they're really done, like really done, then they deserve to show us that they're really done. And I, I need to see that over a couple of years, right? When, when you're going two, three years of the same nonsense and you can't get out of your own way and you can't figure out a way to take advantage of half the league making the playoffs, then I, I think at that point you kind of have a feeling because – I, I tend to kind of compare, Brian, firing a coach like Pete Carroll or a GM like John Schneider to a, you know, first team all-conference player in college football taking off for the NFL. Hey, once you leave, it's done, right? Like once you fire Pete and John, it's over. You can wait a year and fire Pete and John and then do it next year, and all you've lost is time. All you've lost is the one year where you maybe could have hired – somebody else. So I, I think you really have to make sure that this thing isn't working. Maybe you change the structure of the front office. You know, Dick actually Fain mentioned a couple months ago that maybe it's time to let John have more power. And then all of a sudden, boom, Jeremy Fowler writes a story where some folks are talking about that exact same thing. So I, I, I got no problem with those guys coming back for at least one more year, but I, I do think for lack of a better term, it's kind of time to shit or get off the pot for these guys. Yep. Okay. Uh, do you think that they should keep or trade Russ? If Russell wants to be here, I would keep him. I think Russell Wilson's future is entirely dictated by him. I think a lot of people that say that the Seahawks hold all the cards, that they could franchise him for three more years after his two years are up is ridiculous because if Russell Wilson doesn't want to be here, then they're not going to keep him in Seattle because that's not productive for anybody. And I think Russell Wilson needs to figure that out because he really want to be here in Seattle. And I think, you know, all this talk about, well, you know, this could have been my last game in Seattle, but I know it's not my last game in the NFL. All this talk about it being media driven, I think is a joke. I think it's nonsense. I, th I think Russell Wilson has done a terrible job of squashing all of this. He's done a great job of leaving the door open for people like us to speculate on all of that. I mean, the idea that everything's hunky-dory is ridiculous. I mean, I asked him last year at the press conference, man, why did you allow this stuff to fester for three, four months and not say anything to squash it? And he said, because sometimes things are left better said behind closed doors with family, which, is, which means that we're not getting along which means we have problems. We don't want to air our dirty laundry. So nobody was talking about Brian guys trading Russell Wilson three years ago. 
And then he goes on Dan Patrick and boom, the whole world lights on fire. So you want to blame anybody for all this talk about Russell Wilson? Blame him. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and Dana, I think we'll, we'll take some Patreon questions if you guys are okay. And if you have anything you want to add, feel free. But uh, if folks haven't already, please give the show a like, thumbs up and subscribe. Click the bell to get notified and go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Join up, get immediate access to the Slack channel. There's been a lot of great conversations, a lot of information shared around the defense coordinator candidates and other things as we go. And you get a chance to ask some questions that we try to answer on the pod every week. So uh, first question comes from DJ Burnett. Uh, and uh, Softy, I'm going to give this one to you. Okay. Why did the Seahawks wait to fire Ken Norton Jr. until after this season when the defense was much worse, at least to the eye test, the pre- than the previous two? Oh, sorry. I think what he means to say is yeah. why did they fire him this season after the defense was better than it had been maybe uh, after the previous right. season? Because so, the def- yeah, well, I just say quickly because I think in Pete Carroll's mind, the defense wasn't better, right? I mean, they relied on red zone defense to be great and be the 11th best scoring defense in the NFL. And that is not sustainable. I mean, we just talked about how they're getting progressively worse. They've gone from 32 takeaways in 2019 to 18 in 2021. That is a stain on Pete Carroll's resume as the coach of the Seahawks when he can say he was the head coach of a football team that had the fewest takeaways in franchise history. So, yeah, the scoring defense says they were better, but that's not what Pete Carroll looks at. Pete Carroll looks at getting off the field. Pete Carroll looks at giving his offense short fields. The Seahawks were 31st in the NFL in time of possession on defense, and they had 18 damn takeaways. Okay, that's a problem if you're trying to run the kind of offense that Pete Carroll likes to run. So I would disagree with the uh, the texture there. I think Pete Carroll thinks the defense actually got worse this year. Agreed. I, I think uh, I'm looking at these other questions. I think we've covered all of these already. Um, there's questions about whether we should look at this as a succession plan. I think we talked about that earlier. Uh, questions about what we know about Clint Hurt and Donatel. We've talked about those guys last night as well as now. So I think one of my next questions, you know, Softy, and then Dana, Jeff, you have closing questions, feel free after this one. Um, so Softy, you said offensive line, defensive line priorities, yeah. right? That makes sense. Stars, yeah, stars. But let's say you only get to have one blue chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say it's Chandler Jones or Taron Ar- Armstead as, as yeah. you know, one choice, offensive line, defensive line, right. Where do you, where do you, where do you put more emphasis? I, I go offensive line with the emphasis, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I just think Pete Carroll has shown his true colors on what he wants to be as a head coach and what he wants to be as an offense. And it's not throwing the ball 50 times a game and taking chances and taking risks and being innovative and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he may be a little more innovative than he's been. I will give him that. But I still think Pete Carroll is a guy that wants to dominate the clock and run the damn football and minimize risk. And I think to do that, you have to have a phenomenal offensive line. And they don't have that right now. I mean, as Dana said, there's 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 players on that defense where given the right coaching staff and the right chess pieces, they can put in position to get after the quarterback. I mean, bring back Rasheem Green. Daryl Taylor is a star in the making. Maybe get a little more out of Alton Robinson, guys like that. Jordan Brooks had just as many TFLs as Chase Young did when he was at Texas Tech. Let's start using him as a guy that can get in the backfield maybe a little bit more often. So I think there's pieces on defense that can get after the quarterback. I don't think there's pieces on the offense that can make that line better. They have to bring in new faces. Dana, 
any questions you've got. I do. I want to talk to you about DK for a minute. So yeah. DK is coming up here pretty soon on a contract um, this season. I, I, I kind of think this season was an anomaly for him just because Russ was not Russ and, and mm -hmm. came back way too soon. What, what with looking at him, do you keep him? How much do you yeah. pay him? Do yeah. you let him go? Well, I saw a rumor on the heavy that the Jets are going after him. Did you guys see that too? From like oh, four or five days oh, ago. I have no idea where that came from. Somebody threw out the idea that DK Metcalf is all of a sudden available. And that reeks of something that his agent would throw out there, to be totally <laughs> honest with you, to drive up the price in Seattle. Hey, man, you're coming up on year four of your contract. And this is typically when teams would extend you over the offseason. Boom, all of a sudden there's teams involved and you're available. So that was way too convenient for me. Uh, but Dana, I mean, look, I, I think it's a major conundrum because I think DK Metcalf is going to want to be paid as the highest wide receiver in the history of the NFL. I mean, whether Devontae Adams goes first or Devontae Adams goes second, he's going to want to be right there in that category. And I just don't know in this system if he's worth that kind of money. If you're going to go out and, and, and sign a Ferrari, then you better have a place to drive it. You better be able to get that car on the open road and be pushing 180 miles an hour, meaning you're going to bring back DK Metcalf at 20 plus million dollars a year, then he's got to be better than like 25th in targets in the NFL. He's got to get the football. And part of that means Russell Wilson trusting him. DK Metcalf, how many times did we see DK Metcalf one on one and he's not getting the ball, slant routes, out routes, whatever. You want to just say the hell with the deep ball because there's a safety over the top. I totally get it. But DK Metcalf with a guy playing five, six yards and press bail, whatever, off the line of scrimmage, that's not covered. There's nobody in the NFL that can cover DK Metcalf one-on-one. -on -one. Nobody in the NFL can do that. Not at his height and not at his size. So part of the problem is Russell Wilson, I agree with you, trusting this guy. He's obviously not there yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jeff. I think. Oh, sorry. sorry. Go, ahead. No, go ahead, Dana. Finish up. No, I was just going to say the the only it's that I'm surprised by your answer just simply because Pete, you ask people that and they're like, you sign him, like yeah. it's an absolute yeah. no brainer question. So I kind of appreciate that a little bit. Hmm. I'm here yeah. to just mix it up. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, me and me and Brian have talked about the idea of training him at some point. Mm -hmm. So that's a conversation for another day. But <laughs> I guess my question for you, Stop, is you you just talked about how Pete Carroll wants to play, run the ball, be physical. Right. When him and John got here, they talked about like building teams that were a lot like Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And that's where their early rosters were built around. Their teams were. So as you've talked about how Pete wants to play, why have their roster decisions in the draft and free agency not reflected a team that's yeah. built to play like that? Yeah. Well, I think, I think part of it is a lack of funds, you know, that's part of it, but look, I mean, uh... When you have the a guy, Russell Wilson, making $35 million a year, it's hard to build a roster, right? It's really hard to build a roster. And there's a reason why no team has won a championship with a quarterback taking up that big of the cap in 28 years because it's really hard to do. And, look, I'm sorry, but I just I, – I, I roll my eyes at Russell Wilson's legend talk and winning multiple titles talk. And I know people don't want to hear it and they get sick and tired of hearing it, but Tom Brady could have made a lot more money in his career than what he's made. And I don't know. I mean, Russell Wilson needs to decide what he wants to do. Does he want to be the highest paid quarterback or does he want to give his team every chance to win a championship and maybe take a little bit less money? My fear is that that window was closing for him because he's almost 34 years old. And if he was going to do something like that, it should have been four or five years ago. 
And he hasn't done that. I mean, on top of that, I mean, look, they've drafted poorly. I mean, they haven't drafted great offensive linemen. They haven't drafted up until now really phenomenal defensive linemen. They've had some hits, but a lot of misses there. LJ Collier was a total joke and a complete busted defensive end. Uh, the guy couldn't even get on the damn field for crying out loud. We're all sitting here, you know, uh, kissing Rashad Penny's ass, and rightfully so, because the guy had a phenomenal five-game stretch. But up until about two months ago, he was a total bust for this football team. Complete bust. So, you know, this is this is what they do. They get guys that tease you a little bit, and then they don't pan out. Or they, you know, end up to you being great, and they flame out. So I just think it all comes back to the draft and talent evaluation from the top of the pyramid. But bottom line is they've got to start, Jeff, I think, putting some real resources into the offensive line. I mean, you know, TJ Lang, for example, they probably could have had him, but they would have had to have offered more money because the guy went back to his hometown. I mean, you can't beat that unless you massively overpay, and the Seahawks have not been willing to do that. Yeah. Well, I think we'll, we'll close it on that note. I, I think that we all agree. Um, offensive line, for a team that wants to be tough and impose their will, is a priority. Yeah. It used to be when they won a Super Bowl, they had the number one cap spend on offensive line. They did, correct. People forget that, but that was the truth. Yep. And they had two pro bowlers on that offensive line in, in Unger and Okung. And they just, they've not drafted well at that position. They have not invested well. And I don't think it's money because they spent money, but they don't spend it on top tier guys. And they, we, we've, we've bemoaned this point. They've been a number of really good offensive linemen and the Seahawks yeah. just tried a bargain shop. And yeah. that's my one. If there's one hope, like more than even the pass rush, which I just got, I hope that they go after. There's some good pass rushers uh, available in free agency. I hope that they really look at it and say, no, we're not going to go cheap on offensive line. The yeah. one guy Let we paid just, in the last yeah, five yeah. years was Dwayne Brown. Right, he right. have been good. Let me so throw like, one more just obvious, yeah. you know, Occam's razor theory at you that they're just not good at it. Right. I mean, it's it's just a hole in their game. I mean, every GM, every front office has holes in their game where they have problems at certain positions and, you know, building one side of the ball or the other. I mean, like Mickey Lomas, for example, all those years in New Orleans just could not build a defense. Right. I mean, he had every now and then, he'd, you know, throw a dart and hit a bullseye, but for the most part, couldn't do it. So there's a real I think the data pretty much Brian tells you that. Right. It that does. It's, just a, it's just a massive hole in Pete Carroll and John Schneider's game that for whatever reason, they cannot build an offensive lineman. And when they're, when they're allowing Tom Cable to come in here and draft defensive linemen to turn into offensive linemen, which worked maybe with J.R. Sweezy, but I mean, did it really? I mean, he was good, but he wasn't a star. Yet. Christian Sicoli for crying out loud. That's desperation. I'm sorry. This is the NFL. It's not a freaking circus. Is so it desperation or is it arrogance? I mean, I, I think, think that's I where think both. I think be, it's both. I think it's both. It's. I think they think they're smarter than the rest of the league. And it's desperation on the Hawks' part when they are so desperate for offensive linemen, they're willing to let an offensive line coach talk them into drafting D linemen and turn him into offensive linemen. No, you draft offensive linemen to be offensive linemen. That's it. That's all. So I think it's just a hole in their game, dude. I. I, I don't disagree. I think we all agree. That is my one hope of what my, like if I was Jody Allen in that meeting that happened last week, that would be the thing I would be absolutely stressing. Like you've got a ancient left tackle. You've got a mediocre at best center. Yeah. You've got a rookie undrafted free agent at right tackle that looked okay. 
but are you going to just go with him? Like, what is your plan? And, and, and are you going to spend there? Are you going to ensure, like, what are you going to do not to take a chance and hope that it works out? Not even in the draft. Yeah. What are you going to do to be absolutely sure you've got top shelf talent? Cause you've got three potential openings on the line going into this year. And if you just bring those guys back, I think I think that right there caps the ceiling of what this team can be. So I, I just real quick because I brought this up earlier and I got a bunch of eye rolls when I mentioned what Kansas City did with their offensive line. Like what's the what's the story there? Why are I gave I, we did a live a live draft reaction show. We do that every year, and I was banging the table for Creed Humphrey yeah. gotcha. when they drafted Dia Eskridge. Yeah. I gave it an F. I get, and everyone was like, oh my God, what an asshole. <laughs> and I he said, that's true. I think that they're going to pass on an offensive lineman that could have been a starter and a pro bowler for a decade yeah. for a guy that's a third receiver. And I think they're always going to regret that. I think you never go small when you can get someone big yeah. to fill that spot. And I hope to God I was wrong. And <laughs> I've been wrong about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but I was spot on when it came to that one. Yeah, so far you're right. No question. Okay. I know we kept you longer than your lovely wife was hoping for. We are <laughs> deeply appreciative of your time after oh, a good. day of, of, of talking all on the radio. Uh, you're going to be talking to Coach tomorrow, right, Coach yes. Holmgren? Yeah, so, I, yep, Mike's on tomorrow, yep. Pe- people should absolutely tune in, 950 KJR, uh, and uh, in the afternoons, Dave Softy Mahler. Uh, and you can find him on Twitter at Softy KJR. Dave, I hope, I, I would love it to hear you ask Coach about the 2002 season, the end yeah, of that season, and the parallels to this season. Yeah. I think that there's a lot, and I'd be really interested to hear his perspective about how those two uh, compare. But yeah. I'll bring it up. Yeah, go, go on. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we will be back next week with more talk on the offseason. We'll start going after uh, what free agents are available, what we want to prioritize. We'll talk about that. We might have a de- defensive coordinator hire to talk about. And we'll, we'll get into that as soon as it happens. And thanks, as always, to Dana Gorman at Dana OG and Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons, who are on much later time zones and uh, are gracing us with their presence. So we really appreciate it. Until next time, take care. Go Hawks. Patreon.com slash Hawk Blogger.